We are continuing our series, The Superheroes of the Faith. And uh, we've taken a series that we have based on a passage of Scripture found in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, In the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is what they call uh, like a listing of the hall of fame of faith. All these great men and women who had made these uh, incredible acts of faith. And so when you get to Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 34, look what it says. It says here, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of, and he begins to mention other people's names, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. And they mentioned some of these. They said, all I got to do is just barely mention their name. And one of them he mentioned was David. And so I thought when you think about heroes of the faith, you've got to go to David. And the most famous story of David is David and Goliath. All right. So we're not going to talk about that. No, we're going to talk about that story. We're going to talk about David and Goliath. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, with 1 Samuel 17, as we begin to look at this story, some of you are wanting to get into autopilot because you say, I know this story. I've heard it as a child. You may be here and say, this is the first time I've ever been to church, but even I know the story of David and Goliath. Well, you've never heard it told like it'll be told today. Let me tell you that. Number two is there are some insights to this story that maybe you have never thought about before and there could be some insights here that could speak to your own heart and your own life as you approach this uh, subject of of faith and we're looking at David as one of the guys who's a superhero of faith so how does all this get started well it starts in chapter 17 in the first three verses and it introduces us to a battle that's getting ready to take place It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Now, just so you can get an idea as to where all this is, you can see we've got an arrow over here. And you can see we've got one group over in Azekah. We've got another group over here in Soko. And this right here is the Valley of Elah. Now, if you'll notice there's a dotted line, that is because this is the Philistine territory. This is the part they've controlled. Now, over here is Judah. This is what Israel controls. And so you've got a battle that's right here on the edge. And so this is more than just, hey, they got a big guy named Goliath, which we're going to introduce you to in just a minute. But this is a pretty, uh, pretty prominent battle because if the Philistines win this battle, then they begin to move in here and they'd like to take territory. We talked last week that of all the different people that were, con- being control- that were controlling Israel, most of them were nomadic tribes, but the Philistines, they wanted to dominate and they wanted to take territory. So if they could win this battle here, then they would love to go on and move in and take more territory. Well, They are set up to where there's a hill here, there's a hill here, and then there's a valley here. The Philistines are here, the Israelites are here, then we've got the valley. Now, all of a sudden, verse 4, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. 
So Gath is where he's from. So he lived right here. And they said, Goliath, we need your help in this battle. So he didn't have very far to travel. And Goliath travels over there. And they said, they're going to introduce you to a man who is nine feet, nine inches tall. So nine feet, nine inches tall. And then they describe him. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Anywhere from maybe 135 to 150 pounds of just armor. Can you imagine that? About 150 pounds just of armor sitting on this big guy. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. Just the edge, just the the nose on the spear weighed 15 to 20 pounds itself. This is a big man. You say, well, how big was he? Well, let's let's give a little comparison over here. So when you think about big people, one of the people that we think about today with the NBA playoffs is LeBron James, okay? So LeBron James is six foot, eight inches tall and is a big man, right? All right, now Goliath next to LeBron James is nine feet, nine inches tall. That's a really big man. So you've got Goliath. I think he could take him in the post, personally, uh, over here. So you have Goliath at 9'9", and you've got LeBron James at 6'8", and you've got David, who's getting ready to fight him, who's probably less than six feet tall. So you begin to see the immensity of this particular man. But then he goes a little further. In verse 8, he comes out. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, this was a practice that was used at times during this time period. And that is, instead of two armies fighting and getting a lot of bloodshed, sometimes they would just send two combatants to fight each other, win or take all. And whoever wins, then it's like, okay, your army's been captured by, by our guys over here. So Goliath comes out and he makes this claim. And he makes this challenge that why don't we have this fight? You just pick one guy from your group. We'll come. We'll meet down in the valley. We'll fight. And if we win, you will serve us. And if you win, we'll serve you. Big chance that'll happen. And that's the battle. It's interesting. If you look in the scripture, it says Goliath, who was a champion, The literal meaning of that word champion, the Hebrew word, is the word that means the man in between. When they said he's the champion, it's the man in between. It's the picture of the man that is in between two armies that will come and will do the fight. So there's Goliath. He set the stage for how this battle will be. Well, when he makes that challenge, how do they respond? Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So bottom line, they didn't want anything to do with Goliath. This was one big guy and they didn't want to go down and fight the battle with him. So it says they were dismayed and they were afraid. 
So their response to this challenge was not very good at all. And then the Bible says in verse 16 that they stayed this way for 40 days, which meant on day two, Goliath would stand and give the same challenge. Day three, day four, day five, it just kept going and going until 40 days. Now all of a sudden we're introduced to David. David was working for Saul, and he would travel back and forth to go home to Bethlehem to help his dad and help him to tend sheep. Three of his older brothers were fighting, and they were right there on the lines there in the army with Saul. But David was young. Many believe he was just a teenager. You have to be at least 20 years of age to fight. He wasn't fighting, so some believe he was uh, probably just a teenager. And he would go, he'd keep the sheep for his dad. And then his dad said, listen, here's some food. I want you to take it to your brothers. Go bring the food, get a report, and bring me back a report as to what's happening on the battlefront. So he said, okay. So he begins to make his way. And as he makes his way over there, he begins to encounter this Goliath. He hears the same thing that everybody else is beginning to hear. And so in verse 23 and 24 of 1 Samuel, it says this. And it says, as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up on the ranks of the Philistines, and he spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. And guess what? All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. Same thing was happening for 40 days. Now, I wanted to share a couple things about the consequences of a Goliath. Now, what a Goliath is, and you can interpret it a lot of different ways. But, you know, a Goliath is something that's impeding your spiritual progress. It is something out of the ordinary. Something beyond the normal day of, of battles and uh, struggles that we have. This is something that came, comes up on the, on the forefront that is beyond anything that we have experienced before. And, and, and it could either be an illness. It either could be a, a relationship problem. It could be uh, an addiction. It could be something that has come up and all of a sudden it is huge. It's a nine foot nine giant. And see, the consequences of a Goliath, there are a number of consequences that whenever one of these Goliaths comes that will affect your life and my life. Number one, it retards your progress in the Christian life. Whenever you see a a Goliath, it will retard your progress in the Christian life. You're making progress, and all of a sudden, whoa, this Goliath comes up and you freeze. I can't go anywhere else. Do you realize that those soldiers were sitting on the same hill for 40 days? For 40 days, they didn't do anything. They just sat there. They couldn't fight their battles. They couldn't go home to be with their families. Some believe this was during harvest time. They couldn't go harvest the crops. And so while they are sitting on the mountain, the kids and the parent and the wives, they are struggling because somebody's got to harvest the crops. Somebody's got to keep the business going and on and on and on. They're not making any progress. And whenever there's a Goliath that comes up into our life, we freeze and we're so focused on this Goliath and we're not really sure how we're supposed to get around them that it does, it just completely retards any kind of progress we're making in our spiritual lives. And second of all, it removes your boldness. In verse 21, it says that, and it says that every day the army would be ready. They get up in the morning and say, okay, are you ready? You got your shield, got your sword, you're ready to go, ready to go, let's go. And they got in battle array and they all lined up and they're ready to fight. 
And then all of a sudden Goliath comes out and it says they ran back in fear. Now they were, they thought they were pretty bold. But all of a sudden Goliath came and they ran away. For you, you get up every morning and you grab your weapon. You get your Bible. You get your devotional guide. You, you think you're going to get your prayer time set up over here. And you open it up to your favorite devotion. And you're just ready to, to attack the day. And this Goliath just stands in front of you. And all of a sudden you shrink back. And you close up your Bible. And you don't pray. And you say, I just think it's, it's hopeless. Because I got this huge Goliath. The third thing it does, it just reduces the joy in your life. Goliath just sucked the joy out of your life. I mean, it says they were dismayed and afraid. I mean, there was no joy, no joy in Israel, no joy in what they were doing. And whenever there's this huge Goliath, it just saps all the energy out of you, and it just sucks all the joy out of you. And this is what was going on. And so with this, when you find yourself in this position, here comes David. And David listens to what Goliath says. First time he's ever heard it. It says and then in verse 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen the man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And see, David's over here and he's wondering what is exactly going to be happening for the person that is the brave man to step in there. And they said, I'm telling you what, it's gotten so bad that King Saul says he's going to make a great offer. And that is that if anybody fights this champion, he will give him a great amount of money, number one. He will allow him to live tax-free, number two. And he will give him his daughter in marriage, number three. Now, David says, how many takers have there been? And he says, none at this point in time. No one in 40 days is taking this challenge. Well, it just makes you begin to think. If you're sitting out there and you're just a thinking person, number one, you would get a lot of money for doing this. It's, that's a good thing, right? You think a lot of people, I think that's pretty good. I'd be glad to get paid a whole lot to do something on that. So getting a lot of money is not the big problem, right? The second thing was you would live tax-free. You wouldn't have to fill out any more tax forms. You wouldn't have to pay any kind of taxes. You would live tax-free. Well, I think every guy would like that. That would be a good deal. But then there's that number three. You get his daughter in marriage, and nobody's taking him up on the deal. Maybe it's just me, but I think she's probably pretty homely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to figure. I wonder if the guy says, lots of money. This sounds good. No taxes. This sounds good. Saul's daughter. Ooh, that's a deal breaker. Whoa. <laughs> Hello. Woo. Want to give that one away over here. So, woo, she's in an ugly contest, and they kicked her out because she was a professional. But um, she, you know, I mean, they, they sat there, and they said, whoa, this must be bad. But whatever it is, those three things, they said, they're offering all of these things for somebody to go out here and to fight Goliath. And nobody is taking it. But now you're going to see the conversation change a little bit because look what David says. David says, when he asked the question in verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? God has not been put in this equation anywhere in this chapter until David comes on the scene. 
And his question is, when you see this man, what do you see? Everyone else sees some invincible giant. What do you see, David? I see some uncircumcised Philistine who's worshiping some dead deity that is defying the armies of the living God. That's a whole different way of looking at it. And so he begins to be talking about it. Well, once he begins to talk about it, word gets over to Saul that there's a guy by the name of David who I think may get into the fray. He may get into the battle. He says, okay. So he calls him to his office. And in verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated before Saul, he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now, the interesting thing is, the biggest man in all of Israel was Saul. Because when they were looking to get a king, they were looking and they found the man who was the tallest, biggest man in Israel, and that was Saul. So the natural thought would be that when the tallest, biggest man of the Philistines comes, that then you would get the tallest, biggest man of Israel to fight him. But it didn't work that way because Saul didn't want anything to do with it. But now there's a young teenager that has come up and he says, and I love what he has said, he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Now, don't you know Saul felt a whole lot better now? Don't you know he felt good? He felt his kingdom was in good hands. He's looking over here, and he's got some little probably 5'8", five, 5'10", five, teenager over here who wants to go and fight a 9'9", killing machine, trained warrior. And he says, hey, everything's in good shape. His kingdom is balancing on a teenager who says, I'll go fight the battle. Well, his first response is what you and I would have said. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth and he's been a man of war from his youth. You just don't have the experience. You just can't do this. But then David came back to Saul, which whenever people talk about this passage, this is the most memorable part of the passage. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. What David did was he recounted what had happened in his life. And he said, listen, there have been times when I've been out there tending my father's sheep and a lion came and grabbed one of the lamb or a bear came and I went and I grabbed them and I, I took care of them and, del- and uh, delivered that lamb from there and, and God delivered me from fighting that lion and bear. And you know what? If he delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Folks, what that is is courageous faith. That is a courageous faith for him to step up and say, I will do this. I'll be the man that will stand in the gap. Let me tell you some things about courageous faith. The very first thing is that it centers on God. Courageous faith 
it centers on God. This is not a story, and I know we use this when a, when a small team's playing a big team in sports and we say it's a David and Goliath, it's a Hoosiers movie, it's something like this, the little guy to beat the big guy, you just got to bow up, get strong, all that. This is more than that. There was nothing about David to where he came and he says, hey, I'm going to bow up and I think I can beat this guy. It was all about God. You know what got him upset? What got him upset is the Philistine came and he says, I defy the armies of Israel. In essence, he just says, I defy your God. And he spoke against God. Nobody else got chapped about that, but David did. Really got him hot. And the more he thought about that, he says, this is a battle for God. And he says, you know what? The same God that delivered me before is the same God that delivered me in this. And everything centered on God. It all came back to God. So we talk about courageous faith. And every time you see this story, don't just see this as some guy's bowing up and, and, and making, overcoming some adversity. It all centers on faith in God. And for David, it was on his daily faith he'd had in God. And he'd seen the provisions as to what God had done for him in the past. And he said, I believe it can happen again. Second of all, it reduces all enemies of God to the same level. I want you to listen closely. It reduces all enemies of God to the same level. Different challenges, same God. There's a bear, there's a lion. Okay, that's one set of challenges. Nine foot nine killing machine. There's another challenge. What has stayed consistent among those? One God. Who never changes. We sang over here about that he is risen from the dead and that that same resurrection power lives within us. And because Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, that same resurrection power is what is in each of us when we receive Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit comes into our life. The same God that you pray to and you say, God, I know this may seem small, but I really need your help. I need your deliverance. I need your guidance. That same God that provided help there is the same God that when that big nine foot nine Goliath stands in front of you, it's the same God that can take care of that. You see, God doesn't have these limitations where he says, you know, he's pretty good on this, but over here, I don't know. He's kind of weak in this area. He's not. It's the same powerful God. And so that's what David figured out is that he took, reduced all the enemies of God and he put them on the same level. I got lions, I got bears, I got the Philistine over here. It doesn't matter. I've got the same God that's working on it. That's what courageous faith is. Because see, for some of us, for us, faith is easy when we've got some things that are not that difficult and we can trust God for it. But then when these big nine foot niners get in front of us, I just don't know. God's saying, listen, you trusted me for this. You trust me for this. You trust me for the small things. You trust me for the big things. Different challenges, but the same God. So what Saul did was he gave him his blessing. And he said, you go. He says, but before you go, I want you to put on my armor. Now, Saul, let's just say, I don't know. Let's say he's a big 6'4 guy. He's 6'4. David's, what, 5'8, five, 5'10. So he tries to put the armor on him, and it just swallows him up. And, and as I read through this story, I tried to figure out what is going through the mind of Saul. As here he is, an adult warrior, king of Israel, biggest man in Israel, 
trying to take his big suit of armor and put it on this young kid and it's just swallowing him up. And you realize, if I'm Saul, I'm the guy who should be fighting this battle. I should be, I should be fighting this battle. But David was smart enough to know. He says, you know what? I appreciate the armor, but it's just not been tested. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it off and you just leave it up to me. And look in verse 40. And in verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. I want you to zero in on verse 40. Everything he says in this verse is familiar. He took his staff. Every shepherd has a staff. You've got to hold on to that. Hold on to that just like, uh, just like a, your, your iPhone. He took his staff in his hand. And he went to the brook. And he chose five smooth stones. And he put them in his shepherd's little pouch. Everything he did is something he was familiar with. He'd been doing this every single day. And as he goes to the brook, he went and he gets five smooth stones. Now, oftentimes when we think about this, we think that they're stones kind of like this. This is like a stone I took out of, uh, uh, out of water one day. And we look at this little stone and we say, yeah, I guess he went down there to the brook and got him about five little smooth stones. Well, uh, it's a pretty picture. It's an incorrect picture uh, because actually they said the stones they used during that day were more like the size of a tennis ball. So there's one thing to think about Goliath getting hit in the head with this. Hello. Versus getting hit in the head with this, okay? And so the rocks that they had were similar to this. In fact, I think we may have a picture right here to where you've got, a, a, the way you've got your slingshot here, and these are about the size of these, uh, of these stones. And it's interesting because when he went to get those stones, he says he got five smooth stones, Smooth stones. Now, the reason you get a smooth stone is that you want to control the trajectory of that stone. If you watch baseball games, whenever a baseball gets scuffed up in the pros, they throw it out. And the reason they throw it out is because if you scuff up a baseball, then when you throw it, sometimes it will move different ways, ways that maybe you didn't intend it to move. And so the same thing with a stone. I'm not just going to get any stone. I can get a smooth stone. So that I can be accurate on that, okay? And then it says he picked up five stones. Everyone's wondering, hey, why did he get five stones? And there were some people that talk about that, well, you know, he had like four brothers or something, and he was scared they were going to come after him or so. But, you know, I, I'm not a proponent of that. I think you've got to really kind of stretch Scripture to find it. Plus, to me, if he kills Goliath, and then they're worried about the four brothers— well, number one, we know they're not with the Philistines at this time. Otherwise, they would have really stood out among those little six-foot Philistines, these nine-foot-niner guys. It's not like, hey, we got another guy in the back. And then by the t- if he killed uh, Goliath, the battle's going to be over and done before those guys can even come there. So why did he get five? The reason he got five is he just wanted to be prepared. No lack of faith. He's looking down there and says, you know what? I'm going to take my first shot. I may hit him. It may wound him, but it may not kill him. Then i got to go with my second rock. And then maybe my third rock or even my, even my fourth over there. But I'm, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be prepared. And so he's got his five stones. He said, I'm going to throw my first one. 
But then I'm just going to kind of bob and weave, okay? I'm quicker than he is. He's slow. He's big. He's got 200 pounds of of armor all over him. And I can move in and out. I'll throw my first stone. And if I kind of shake him up a little bit, I'll bob and weave, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, throw another stone if it need be. You know, something like that. He says, you know, I'm ready to go. And I love that about him. He was prepared. He was ready. Got his stones ready to go. And he's got everything that was familiar. Everything that was familiar. And then he went to meet the Philistine. Oh, then you get to verse 41. Well, nowhere in Scripture is there ever detail of battle as, as this detail. And the Philistine moved forward, and he came near to David and had his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and he saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. I've always wondered why they put that handsome in appearance. You think David kind of threw that in when they were, getting, when they were writing this out? Could you throw handsome in? I would really appreciate that. As if that affected the Philistine. Hey, I don't want to mess your face up. You look like you have a modeling career. All right. So, but he said, he's a youth, ruddy, handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, now he starts trash talking right here. I mean, this guy's been talking uh, Jack for 40 days. So now, now all of a sudden he's going to throw some more smack out over here and really get after him. Look what he says. He says to him, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? I got a little staff, got a little slingshot. And he said, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Whoa, tough talk from big nine-nine man, wasn't it? And he's kind of slowly making his way out there to David and he's talking trash. Well, David's not going to back off on that. He's coming right back to him. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I'm not coming for Saul. I'm not coming for my dad. I'm not coming for the military. I'm coming for the Lord of hosts, the one that you defied. And let me tell you this. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. No one else. The Lord is going to deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you down. And then I'm going to cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Good trash talk from David. Yes. I mean, he was fed up to here with Goliath. He said, I'm coming at you. And he says, look at that verse. How many times has he got the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord? Now, the Lord wasn't mentioned by anybody else. But this is where he has this courageous faith because it is centered on the Lord. Everything's centered on the Lord. And the Lord's the one who's going to deliver you into, into our hands. Now, I'm going to be his instrument, but God's the one that's going to do this. And you just need to know that. So not only does he begin to talk to trash, but then the very next verse, look what it says. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He came and he he just ran towards him. It's It's like a heavyweight fight and they hit the bell. He comes running out of the corner. And it says that when he came running out of the corner, look what he did. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. Man, you know, he's kind of mapped this out and he figured, I'm going to shoot right here. I'm going for the forehead. 
and he fell on his face to the ground. That thing came in, it hit the frontal lobe, it crushed his cranium, and when it did, it killed him, and he fell face down. Boom. One shot. One shot. I remember growing up reading this story. I was uh, always watching a lot of boxing, and they'd always talk about a boxer had a glass jaw. Y'all ever heard people talk about that? Oh, he's a great boxer, but if you hit him in the jaw, he goes down. See, Goliath had a glass forehead. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. And boom, hit him right there. He was done. He was out. And he died. Well, then look at verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and he struck the Philistine and he killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Do you know why it says that? Because David said in verse 47 that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. So there was no sword. I did. It's exactly what God said he would do. So then David ran. He stood over the Philistine. He took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. That's a little brutal, Daddy. Well, that's the way they did things back then. Kind of the battle etiquette of that time is that when you killed the main guy, you would decapitate him. And so he was going by Robert Rules of Order out in the, uh, out in the battlefield, and he cuts his head off. The other reason for cutting the head off is to let all that Philistine army know, they're sitting there thinking, is Goliath getting back up? Is he just stunned? Whoa, there's his head. Nope, I think that's the ball game. That's the battle. It's done. And so when that happened, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, and they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. Wow. I'll tell you two more things about courageous faith. Number one, strengthened by the familiar. Courageous faith is strengthened by the familiar. You know, he was so confident when he walked into that battle against Goliath because he had everything on him that he was familiar with. He tested them. He knew the stones to get. He knew the slingshot, knew how to use it, had a plan. Everything he did was familiar. He strengthened by the familiar. We need to build our familiars. We build our familiars to be able to have courageous faith by reading God's word and not just a, a, a um, casual reading but a studying of God's word. We build our familiars by having a consistent time of prayer. We build our familiars by having a community of believers that we can worship with and share life with. A familiar... Arity is accountability to where there's some people that we can be accountable to that can help us during difficult times, people that we can talk and share our lives with. And we want to strengthen those familiarities. And as we strengthen those and we get strong in that, then whenever that nine foot nine Goliath comes in front of us, we're in a stronger position to make a courageous step of faith. And when I make that step of faith, I'm taking with me God's word I've been reading, the power of prayer that I have been praying, the community of believers that I have been investing in. And then guess what? We can take that one out. And let me tell you the very last thing on courageous faith. I've read this story, like many of you, since I was a child. And in this week, I saw something I'd never seen before. And I'm just calling it courageous faith sees the big picture. Courageous faith sees the big picture. 
When Goliath came out, he made a pretty good pitch. If you were the armies of Israel, and I was Goliath, and I said, you know, we don't need to have this bloodbath between the armies fighting each other. So I tell you what, just find one of your people, and let's just do a fair fight. And, and, and if you win, hey, you, we'll serve you. But now you just got to know that if I win, then, uh, then you'll serve us. But it won't be a bloodbath. Okay? It'll be okay. It won't, it won't be a bloodbath. Sounds like a pretty good statement. But what you need to understand is Goliath represents the Philistines. These are the same people that you've been fighting with for year after year after year after year. These are the people that want territory. These are the things that want to own your life. These are the things that want to take up permanent residence in your life and control your life. And so when we look at a Goliath, sometimes we'll look at it and say, well, maybe that's, that's just not so bad. Maybe I can be like the people in Israel and just maybe not do anything about it and just sort of, and sort of just put it, put it off. And what happens is, is when we are just putting it off, then what you're doing is you are emboldening and strengthening the army that is behind him, the Philistines, because they were controlling you for 40 days. They controlled you. You couldn't move off that hill because you didn't do anything with Goliath. You say, well, Danny, though, the Philistines are strong armies. Don't, weren't they tough with the, with, uh, with the Israelites? Why don't you read this verse? 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 47. A couple of chapters before you even get to David and Goliath. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zoah, and against the, what does it say? The Philistines. And what does the next statement? Read this together. Wherever he turned, he routed them. One more time. Wherever he turned, he routed them. Every time these divisional rivals met, Israel won the battle. They were stronger than the armies of the Philistines. They could beat the Philistines. But what happened is, is once they sent Goliath out, this big 9-9 guy, all of a sudden, you find yourself scared of the armies over here, the armies that you can defeat, that with God's power and with his strength, you've been able to get victory over these guys. Yes, we've had some tussles. Yes, there have been some tough times in our life. But we have been victorious over these guys because our God is stronger than they are. But what has happened is now all of a sudden we've got a Goliath. He has got you to take your eyes off of that army and put all your eyes on him. And you're so scared you are frozen in your Christian life. And you're allowing this army back here who you can whip. Win the battle in your life. Because when a Goliath shows up, it affects everything. It affects your relationships and your family. It affects your job. It affects the way you interact with your wife, the way you interact with your husband. It affects the way you are with your kids. It affects how you are with your business associate. It affects how you handle your money. It affects your physical health. All of these things begin to suffer. Things that you had victory over, things that you were doing good with. But you see now, because this big 9-9 thing's right in front of you, all of the eyes are right there on him. 
And it is affecting everything else in your life. And see, what courageous faith is, it sees the big picture. And I know it sees the big picture because you know what David said? David said, you know what? After I take you down, when I take you down, I'm taking your head off. I'm going to feed you to the birds. And then I'm going, we're going to feed the rest of the Philistines to them. Because we're not scared of them at all. We've whipped you guys before. We'll whip you again. David wasn't scared of any of the army. He said, I just got to get this Goliath guy out of the way. Then we can go and take care of the army. And you know what happened? As soon as Goliath fell, what happened to the Philistines? What did it say they did? They did what? They ran. Whatever happened with that gentleman's agreement about if we beat your guy, you're going to serve us? That was out the door. They ran. And then there was this battle to where Israel conquered them. Listen, there's pride, envy, lust, greed, critical attitudes, apathy, laziness, sinful habits, all these things that we battle. And with God's help, you can gain victory. But whenever you face a Goliath, you embolden that army. And if you don't go on and deal with him, but if we deal with him and we defeat him, then all of a sudden, we got an opportunity to take out this army and not let them control our lives. Does that make sense? Goliath, nine foot nine, big guy. And they come into our lives. But I need to tell you this. This is the only, you got this story, it's found in verse 17, in chapter 17, about David fighting this, this Goliath. But I want to let you know, verse 52 of chapter 14 says, and the Philistines fought with the Israelites during all of Saul's reign. They always battled them. And when you get to 2 Samuel, there's even some indications that there were some other big giants that they had to face. You're going to face some other Goliaths, not just one. I did this weekend what every man loves to do. Power spray. Oh, it's just the greatest thing. You get to be mindless, and you spray, and you knock out mildew and mold. I've got a picture of something. All right, I just want to show you. This at the top is an amazing amount of work that happened with my power sprayer. This at the bottom is what it looked like before. This is like my edge of my driveway that then goes to a sidewalk over there. Huge difference, great victory, high five me. Every one of you when service is over, you come by and, and high five me and say, wow, look what he did. That is great. That was my Goliath, and I tackled him. Next month, next few months, maybe even a year or so, what's that sidewalk going to look like? A little bit more like what's on the bottom. Sad to say, that stuff's going to creep back in. And all of a sudden, I got another Goliath, and I got to attack it again. I want this picture to stay in your mind because some of you are battling Goliath, and you are saying, if I just get through this one, we'll never have another one come. Mm -mm. There are other Goliaths that will be coming. So, what do you need to do? You got to strengthen your familiars. Strengthen your familiars. 
And whenever that next Goliath comes, rather than sitting there for 40 days, stuck in a stalemate, not knowing what to do, you just go grab five smooth stones, put them in your pouch, get that slingshot that you've been working with, get in front of God and say, let's go. And let's go take it out. And then once we take that one out, then we continue to move forward and progress in our Christian walk. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Father, we, uh, we thank you that uh, there are stories that, uh, and encounters that we read in Scripture that, um, that stay with us like this one. An amazing story of courageous faith. But I just pray, Lord, that we don't catalog it and put it aside as just a, a historical story. But yet, we'll see the relevance it has for each one of us today. And I pray, Lord, it'll be a message of hope. Because, Lord, either we all have a Goliath that we're dealing with now, or we will have. And, Father, we want to center our faith on you. Knowing that you sent your son to die for our sins. To give us a hope of eternal life. To give us the strength and power to live an abundant, fulfilling life right here on earth. And Lord, we thank you that you empower us as we fight those daily battles of all the different things this world throws at us. And Lord, we just pray that that this day that you speak to each of our hearts. And as you speak to our hearts, help us to um, rely on you and rely on your strength to make it through these difficult times. Speak to our hearts and help us to make decisions based on your will. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.